0: As parts. dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of being here this evening. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for making your Word, the very bread of life, available to us day in and day out, Father, so that we can be set free by it, convicted by it, sanctified by it, as your Son, our Lord and Savior, prayed for in John 17, Father. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening for a variety of reasons. We pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that before it's too late, they be humbled and receive saving faith. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality for all of us to rejoice in. May we never become familiar with it. We do just pray for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, parts 37 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. We began on Sunday with a quick look uh, into one of the most encouraging chapters in the New Testament. That's uh, Romans 12. Let's go there. Go to Romans 12 verse 9. We'll pick up there. We're going to go a little further in the passage, uh, just because the spirit wants to, has a little, something extra to say. Romans 12, verse 9. <clears throat> reads, "Let love be genuine." And then he follows up with, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo, I love that, outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine if we just all had that attitude. You know, not in a competitive way, but just really outdo or, or just shower each other with grace. Imagine if we just had that or just love each other. Outdo, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. <clears throat> Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And I love this. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Think about how we started in verse nine, right? Um, let not love be or let love be genuine, right? And then in verse 12, be constant in prayer. And I like the mention of prayer here because it implies a fellowship with the one unique person in this world who's able to convict us of good and evil, right? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And constant prayer, it gives us access to the one person uh, in a unique way through fellowship. Who's able to convict us of said good and evil? So let's go back to that verse that the Spirit had us ponder on Sunday a bit, which is verse 9. Just go up a little bit. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Up here on the board, apostugeo, abhor, apo from away from, stugeo, detest, abhor, it means to shrink from with abhorrence, and that's that, ooh, that thing. You almost visually can see. It's, ooh, let me, let me get away from that. That's abhor. And then, secondarily, hold fast from kala'o means to glue or weld together, just the opposite, the exact opposite, to cleave, to adhere, to a friendly intercourse. In other words, to just cleave to it. So one is a, ooh, and one is a complete cleaving to So in this passage, we have this tremendous contrast that amplifies the first sentence. The first sentence says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And that means without hypocrisy. Hmm. In other words, for something to be genuine, it cannot be a mixture of both good and evil. In other words, you can't cling to both good and evil. In other words, for love to be genuine, to be pure, without hypocrisy, you can't even secretly cling to evil things. Otherwise, it's disingenuous love. And so that's what he's saying, and that's what he's sort of explaining in further detail. For something to be genuine, like love, it cannot be a mixture of both good and evil, it's got to be pure. And that's the very definition of genuine. So it can't be one part light and one part darkness, you know, one part truth and one part lies. Again, let love be genuine. Now, the Spirit wanted us to take pause here. Let love, awful lot of talk about love lately, um, let it be genuine. So we're going to do a quick survey of experiential purity in the Bible, this let love be genuine, because that's an experiential thing, right? We're going to do a quick survey of this, what I'll call experiential purity in the Bible, beginning with uh, passages uh, of blessings associated with purity. Go to Matthew 5, verse 8, Matthew 5, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8. So just a quick survey of experiential purity in the Bible, beginning with the blessings associated with purity. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And a person might ask, well, how do I orient to this godly purity? Go to Psalm 119.9. Psalm 119.9. Psalm so Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A person might say, well, I, I like that idea, but how do I do that? How do I do that? Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a person uh, do this or orient to this kind of godly purity? Psalm 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your what word how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word as david wrote it's the this purity that makes things right in our lives go to psalm 51:10 psalm 51 verse 10 <clears throat> so you have the word how do we do it we stick We cling to, if you would, that which is good, which is the word. We just saw that in Psalm 119. Psalm 51, verse 10. uh, David writes this purity that makes things right in our lives. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. Clean my heart, purify me, in other words. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. As believers, we are called to be examples of this purity. Go to 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Again, we're just in survey mode. I'm not spending any real time on this. We're just surveying the Bible on the topic of purity. Because of our primary passage, Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine, let it be pure. So what does the Bible say about purity? 1 Timothy 4.12. Just sort of around the rose bush here, right? Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so we are called to be examples of, of this purity. Of course, Paul is writing to Timothy, this is a pastoral epistle, um, and he was guiding Timothy, who was younger than um, his congregants, uh, probably on average, and he was encouraging him, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers uh, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In fact, our sanctification being purified of unrighteous living in other words is the very will of God go to 1st Thessalonians 4 verse 3 right around the corner 1st <clears throat> Thessalonians 4 verse 3 purifying us in other words being sanctified being purified of unrighteous living, experientially speaking, is the very will of God. So when we think about Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. This is part of his will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, the act of God purifying you experientially. That's what sanctification is, experientially. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is the act of God purifying you experientially, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, <clears throat> that, one, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, uh, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but how? In holiness. In holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so, again, verse 7 God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Now, I want to slow down for a moment uh, with this next passage um, because it deals with two aspects of pure living. Go to James 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8. Excuse my voice. James 4, verse 8. So we're just going to slow down a little bit. Two aspects of pure living. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Now that's a reference to clean up your external behavior. In other words, cleanse your hands. Think about that uh, as a figurative way of saying Hey, clean up your act, clean up your external behavior, you sinners, and purify your hearts. In other words, clean up your internal thoughts. And so we have two aspects here of pure living. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, in other words, clean up your external act and purify your hearts. Clean up your internal act, your internal thoughts, you double-minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so that gives us some of God's word on the topic of purity, which certainly relates back to our opening passage. Go there, Romans 12.9. Go back to Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. So that, again, was just a quick survey on the topic of purity. Romans 12, verse 9 reads, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So again, the point the Spirit's making is that a genuine love is a pure love. Is this something we'll ever achieve completely in this lifetime? I mean, will we ever be able to love like Jesus did, which was perfectly? Uh, The answer is no. The answer is no. But as is the case with many of the commands in the Bible, as I've taught in the past, they reflect God's holy desire. You know, when you think about the commands, you say, I could never do that. So why is he even asking me this experientially? I could never be that. My love is definitely not genuine. (laughs) I'm a hypocrite day in and day out. I say I love, but then I cling to evil things. Commands, think of it this way. Commands set our direction in life. And they also provide us boundary conditions to keep us from straying off course. That's what commands are. They set the direction. Right? We know that that's His will over there. I've got to go in that direction. That's what a command is. Uh, we never do it perfectly in time. But it still doesn't diminish the fact that that's His will. A command, in other words, is His express will. I think that's how I've taught it in the past, maybe five years ago now or so. God's commands, then, are an expression of the perfect standard of righteousness. So the perfect standard in Romans 12, 9 is let love be genuine. Let it be as Christ was, even. Um, That's God's will. However, we know, as God does, of course, uh, that we cannot measure up to that standard. We just can't. Even so, this doesn't lessen the holy desire of God for perfection. And this is where confession comes in. So all this work we've been doing, it's been kind of interesting to see the curriculum because we focused on confession for a while, and now he's bringing it back into our more recent messages. And so even on this, in terms of commands, this command to let love be genuine, commands in general, um, even though we never measure up, it doesn't lessen the holy desire God's, uh, or of God's will, or for perfection even. And again, this is where confession comes in. We are asked to confess, which again just means to agree with God, regarding what is actually righteous. What is righteous in this case? To love without, uh, To love genuinely, or to love without hypocrisy. That's the perfect standard of God. Um, and we are to agree with that thing. So we have to agree with him that pure, undefiled love is the way it should be for we believers. That's his ultimate desire, pure, undefiled love, hence the command, let love be genuine. As the Spirit taught us recently, humble confession before the Lord God is the first step regarding sanctification. I want to just um, take a little sidebar here for a moment. My voice is almost gone. Think about certain aspects of your life right now. And think about how in some areas, once you confess the situation to God, just think of one area in your life where you really did Confess to God, uh, all the, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you repented. And he was able to work out your sanctification. And today, you've pretty much been delivered from that aspect of your life. I'm sure most of us have good, fond memories of that thing happening. That's the blessing of being righteous. And yet, in other parts of your life where you've refused to confess the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to him, well, in those areas of your life, you remain stuck. And that's the curse of unrighteousness. And so you have the blessing of righteousness and the curse of unrighteousness. And the gateway, the very first step in either direction, is on the precipice, if you would, of confession. Will you confess or will you not? Will you willfully and humbly submit to God's will and say the same thing, uh, understanding that there are blessings to be had there? Or will you reject it completely and head on over to curse? I was having this conversation with someone the other day that confession is just the first step to sanctification. It's got to be followed up with repentance, okay? It's got to be followed up with repentance. So please don't ever forget this critical truth that confession isn't the end game. Repentance has to follow confession, okay? Don't ever forget that critical truth. It's never enough to say, you know, or just to say, oh, yes, Lord, I agree. That's not enough. That's only the beginning. And that's why I call it the, quote, first step of experiential sanctification. Remember, experiential sanctification is deliverance from the power of sin in time. To confess a sin but refuse to repent of it would be like saying to God, Yes, here I am in bed with my sin, but I have no intention of getting out of this bed. I admit I'm in bed adulterating on my Lord and Savior. Here I am, I'm right here with my arm around my sin. I agree, God, yep, I agree, but I'm not getting out of bed. How's that suit you? Do you think that's God's will? You think it's just whoop, a magical little trick? You just sort of name and cite your sin and you're done? What do you think about that? You think it's enough just to agree with God, to confess? It most definitely is not. I'll give you what I told this person in that conversation up here in the board. Confession without repentance. To confess a sin, I want you to think about this because this is important to confess a sin and then refuse to repent of it is actually worse than not confessing it in the first place. In other words, you're saying, yep, I agree. And I'm still not budging. That's worse. That's worse because you know better. You're being flagrant to the holy God of the universe. Luke 12, 47, or 48. Hold your thumb. Go to Luke twelve, forty seven. <clears throat> Again, confession without repentance. To confess a sin and then refuse to repent of it is actually worse than to not confess it in the first place. Why? Luke twelve, forty-seven. And that servant Who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. The will of God, the commands of God, same thing, right? That servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will. Didn't we just read that in, what was it, James, right? Get your act together, both externally and internally. That's what confession promotes. But it has to be followed by repentance. You actually have to, ooh, turn. a of poor, right? Ooh, turn from that thing. You have to turn from it. It's all the same concept, folks. Repentance. Oh, good. Look at that sin. I hate that sin. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Again, the point on the board. To confess a sin and then refuse to repent of it is actually worse than to not confess it in the first place. Why? Because to confess it means to say the same thing to God. Say, yep, I see it. There it is. Matter of fact, I'm in bed with it, but I'm not getting out of this bed. You see? And just to think, there are religions out there with little mechanical, you know, playbooks. Oh, just confess it, just, just confess it. Hey, I sinned, God. Woo-hoo! I'm all set now. I, I just, I just confess it, right? There's no repentance. There's no contrition. There's no. Ooh, it's just. Meh. Yeah, that's right. I got two in bed with me. Maybe three. Right? Maybe I'll have a whole orgy with sin. I see it. That's what confession looks like without repentance. And that's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, you're you're setting yourself up for a a heavier uh, burden. So think about it. If you love the Lord, then you need to confess and repent from your sins for His name's sake and for your own sanctification. Think about all the time we just spent on punishment. All right, go back to Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Do you truly want to understand what a pure heart looks like? What does this look like? I mean, what does genuine love actually look like? Well, fortunately for us, we have the Word of God, and we have the perfect manifestation of this in Christ Jesus. And it's something he's been bringing up over the last few messages up here on the board. How about the gospel? How about that for a pure heart? How about that for... Pure love. How about that for for love without hypocrisy? God hates evildoers, but Jesus reveals God's heart towards those he hates. He is merciful and gracious. Only the purest of hearts could have accomplished the work that Jesus did. Only the purest. So if you want to know what that looks like, what a pure heart looks like, think of Jesus. Only the purest of hearts could have accomplished the work that Jesus did. That's why none of us, because we can't honestly sit here and say that our love is without hypocrisy, that our love is 100% genuine, perfectly genuine. Jesus's was, ours is not. That's why we would have never made it to the cross. Some of us, the first time someone pulled on our beard, we would have swung for the fences right, or called the angels in to mop the floor with these people, these disrespectful rugrats, right? We wouldn't have made it halfway down the road. And he made it all the way to the cross, separated from his father. That's what pure love looks like. He not only fulfilled the law perfectly, but he also died for our sins perfectly. Knowing this, he personally then becomes our motivation. We aren't there, but He becomes the draw. He becomes our motivation even. He is the supreme object, uh, objective of our love, or the supreme object even of our love. And therefore, our will aligns with His will because that's what is pleasing to Him. When you love someone the way we love Jesus Christ, uh, we want to be pleasing to Him. Amen? Right, and that's our motivation. Go to Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, 9. Our will aligns with His will, because that's what is pleasing to Him. Colossians 1, 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, oh, that's a good thing then, isn't it? To be able to say the same thing, to understand his will, and therefore orient or confess even to his will. This is what he was praying for. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. This is our motivation. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That's love without hypocrisy. That's genuine love. That's the draw. That's the direction walk in a manner worthy of the lord why because it's pleasing to him the object of our love bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance Of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think about it. The Lord, think about the object of our love, the motivation, even. The Lord has saved us, he personally died for us. And as Christ himself said up here on the board, John 15, 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what he did for us. Jesus laid down his life for us to reveal his pure love to us. Knowing this, knowing this, he becomes our supreme motivation to, quote, James 4.8, cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. And also to quote Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He becomes our supreme motivation for both of those things. Cleaning up our act and walking in a manner worthy of him. If we don't, then what can we call ourselves? I guess we could call ourselves hypocrites, right? We call ourselves Christians. And all he's saying is, can you represent me then? Can you, can you clean up your act so the rest of the world doesn't look at me or mine and say, that's, that's Christ's follower? Can you clean up your mind a little bit? Can you walk in a manner worthy of me? Can you do that for me? Because that's what's pleasing to me. You say you love me. So you see the distinction there? Jesus Christ went all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. And you were an enemy of God when he did it. We don't even make it a day. Some of you are like, I'm not cleaning up my act right now. I'm going to stay in this bed with my sin. With my arm around my sin. That's how arrogant I am. You see the hypocrisy? But but you came here this evening for the love of Christ, right? But yet you're going to go back home and persist in this or that sin. And if it's not external, then it's internal. One way or the other, your love is not going to be genuine, at least not completely. But that again is His will. That's why it's in command form. So I hope you see how the Spirit's weaving this message together for you. We've got concepts on the table like genuine love, uh, purity, sanctification, the value of confession, with repentance. So think about this. These are all themes we've been hovering around in our message or messages for some time now. And when we embrace these themes as doctrines, we are essentially blessed and sanctified by them, which is pleasing to God. Think about what Paul wrote. He said, I want you to know the will of Him. I want you to know the will of God. Why? Because you're blessed and sanctified. Right? Up here on the board, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3-4, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. But to please God who tests our hearts. I want to look at one more passage that really stitches together the two key t- concepts of purity and sanctification. Go to First Peter, 1:13. 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Ooh, my voice, folks. I don't even know how that happens. It happens every so often. First 1 Peter 1:13. 1. <clears throat> Oh, you guys don't like that word, huh? In all your conduct. Yeah, that's right. Conduct. That's not a religious statement. That's a a request from God. That's a a command from God. Let all your... What does it say? It says, but he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Any questions? Be holy, pure, pure righteous in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy and if you call on him his father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a what? Pure heart. Whew, there's a lot going on. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, what's interesting about this particular verse is that it speaks to two different phases. There's two different phases of sanctification in view here, in the same sentence, up here on the board. Positional and experiential sanctification. Having purified your souls, a reference to positional sanctification, believers are obliged to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The new heart we are given at salvation. And that's a reference to experiential sanctification. In other words, because of who and what you are in Christ Jesus, because he gave you a new heart, because he gave you the ability even to love, even a modicum of his, even a little bit the way he loved, because he gave all of that apparatus to you, that ability at salvation, then do it. Then love. You have now been given the ability to love, therefore my desire, therefore my command is that you love one another. From here on out, I saved you, I've left you here, love one another. Hmm. Earnestly, from a what heart? A pure heart. From a pure heart. Let love be genuine in other words. So what started sanct- uh, what started at positional sanctification, otherwise known as salvation, extends into the rest of your life as experiential sanctification. We are called as believers to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And do not let that heart be a hypocrite or hypocritical. Again, Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then Peter reverts back to positional sanctification again in verse 23, since you have been born again, in other words, there you go, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding, word of God. He points to the seed of this motivation to love the way Christ loved which Jesus actually commanded up here on the board John 13 34 a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. He didn't give that to unbelievers who did he give it to? He gave it to believers. He said, now that I've... I'm saying this in very, you know, loose terms. Now that I've gone through the trouble of saving you, <laughs> how about you love the way I loved? How about this as a command? Remember, a command is just an expression of divine will. Here's my command. I want you. This is my will. I want you. I'm commanding it, therefore, to love one another. And let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil... Cling to what is good. Let that love be genuine. That's what I command of you. It's the highest order of doing righteousness in time. It's the law, even. Think about it. It's the law as it's given in the New Testament. How do we fulfill the whole law? To love. It's the highest order of pleasing the Lord. It's the highest order of righteousness that we've got. That's to love. You say, how is this possible? Because we've been given a new heart in Christ Jesus. That's how. We've been given a new heart in Christ Jesus. A heart that has the God-given ability to love like Christ. It's not perfected yet, but as we are sanctified, it improves to become more and more like Christ's heart. And this is what Peter describes here as he refers back to positional sanctification. Look at verse 23 again. What does it say? It says, Since you have been born again, in other words, since you are positionally sanctified, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for, quote, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, like the flowers of grass, the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, stepping back now before my voice explodes here. All of this is from where we began this evening. Go back to Romans 12:9. Romans 12:9. I think I'm going to have to 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 stop here, folks. I had a little bit more, but I'm going to have to stop about 10 minutes early, I think. Save my voice for Sunday. This is where it all started. I think we've been given a lot anyways this evening. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And one last thought before we press on in our primary course of study. Uh, this genuine love must be pure in the sense that whatever isn't loved ought to be cast into the sphere of holy hate, which is, why, which is that abhor what is evil. That's the practical side of what the Spirit just said. This genuine love must be pure in the sense that whatever isn't loved ought to be cast into the sphere of holy hate. Let me tell you something right now. Listen, if you're in bed with your sin, kick it the hell out. In other words, look at it and go, you are the ugliest SOB I have ever seen. Out of here. Get out. Get out. Stop seducing me. Right? Right? Kick it the hell out. That's what's going on here. Abhor what is evil. You don't cling to that thing. You don't just confess it and not repent from it. You say, get out of my bed. We're not in bed together. Out. Oh, take a hike, you filthy rat. Right? Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, I know I'm getting kind of spite, You know, spunky up here, but like hate Let me ask you a basic one-on-one question. Are you supposed to love sin? Okay, then then it goes in the hate pile. You understand? You're supposed to hate that. Whoa! Ooh! Whoa! Don't play some weird game. I confessed it. I confessed it to God. Big deal. You're even worse than you were before because you confessed it and didn't repent. You know better. You're telling God to his face. I know better. I know it's sin. (laughs) what? He's supposed to hate that thing. That's part of what's impregnated into let love be genuine. For love to be genuine, it has to be pure. What can it not have in it? Hatred. It has to be pure. That means you have to kick all the bad stuff out. Abhor what is evil. To purify that love. To have that love sanctified in time. You kick the bad stuff out. And you say, don't come back. You stay over there. <laughs> don't come back. Stop flirting with me. Out. Get out of here. That's what is going on here. That's the essence of genuine love. It's not some emotional thing. It's not like, oh, I love Jesus and I love and you And know, you go around hugging everybody like Olaf, right? Right? I love warm hugs. Nobody... Nobody's seen that, what's the name of that movie? Frozen. Nobody's seen Frozen? Man, you guys are old. Right? It's not about hugging people. It's about righteousness. It's about righteousness. Let love be genuine. Let it be pure. Let it be without hypocrisy. That means all the evil stuff. Ooh, over there. All the good stuff. Yes, in here. That's what it means to have a genuine love, which is why we received a hefty dose of love, hate, and grace in our messages from this pulpit. And then a blog titled, What is Holy Hatred? And those things were complementary to each other in a message as of late uh, on the topic of love. All of that, like I said before, that's all part of our curriculum. There's a reason why confession was there. And love and hate and holy hatred, and putting it right on deck for us to see. And then he says, You know what? Let love be genuine. Let your love be. I want you, you know what? Clean up your act. Externally, internally, clean up your act. Walk in a way that's worthy of him, because that's what's pleasing to him. Kick all that bad stuff out of your life. You'll be blessed for it. You'll be sanctified for it. You'll bring glory to me. You might even be able to evangelize somebody. Oh, there's a big concept, right? You might even be able to fulfill the great commission. Because who the hell is going to listen to somebody who's in bed with their sin and flaunting it? You see how it all comes together? All of that from let love be genuine don't be a hypocrite amen all right let's bow our heads dear heavenly father thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening thank you for truth that sets us free we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls and our homes father we ask this in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen thank you